0: Thanks for having me down here again. It's always a privilege to worship with you all. Um, just, I just noticed after I came in, your your text is the New American Standard that you use um, at your pew Bibles. That's actually the one I prefer to read from and study from when I'm working on translating and things. I always end up sounding like the New American Standard. I originally wrote my sermon for the ESV, but I'll read from the New American Standard. That's the text that everybody's used to as it's a great a great translation. Our. Uh, sermon text this evening is hebrews 12 i'm going to focus mainly on one verse i don't often do that we're going to look at hebrews 12 uh, verse 14 but we're going to read for the sake of context uh, hebrews 12 12 through 17 so you practice to stand for the reading so i'll ask, i'll invite you to stand for the reading of god's word here this evening Hebrews chapter chapter 12, verses 12 to 17, give ear to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb, which is lame, may not be put out of joint, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. This ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask God's blessing upon his word to us this evening. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a light to our feet and a lamp to our path, that if by it you make yourself known to sinners such as us. By it you make known uh, your holy law. By it you make known our sin. And by it you make known the way of salvation in Christ and the way that you would have us to live as your redeemed people in Christ. We ask that you might work in us by your spirit even this evening. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. Well, the ESV of verse 14 puts it this way. It says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. The New American Standard there says sanctification, and that is a good way of translating that word, it removes the possible confusion about what is being discussed by the writer of Hebrews here, and the writer of Hebrews most certainly is talking about holiness or sanctification. The subject of holiness, as you may uh, know already, has, I believe, fallen on hard times in in our day. When was the last time that you thought about holiness? Maybe In present company, that's been a common theme. When's the last time you heard a sermon on the subject? I trust also that may be a common theme that you hear from the scriptures, from Ben and others who preach and fill this pulpit. When was the last time that you read a book about holiness? When was the last time you read a book about holiness or sanctification? You know, frankly, if you were to go to the average Christian bookstore, just pick one, there aren't that many of them in our day, it seems like. If you were to pick a Christian bookstore and go in, you would probably find shelf upon shelf upon shelf of books on any number of subjects. You'd probably find books on finances, maybe a whole wall of those, books on politics or psychology or child rearing, successful living, even Christian diet and health books, based upon the Bible, supposedly. On top of all that, if you were to go into a Christian bookstore these days, you'd probably find Isles and Isles of Christian Fiction. I'm not here to judge Christian fiction, uh, but what about books on holiness? I'm going to go out on a limb and say you wouldn't find a whole shelf of them in most Christian bookstores. That saying the old saying about finding a needle in a haystack kind of comes to my mind when I think of that. Try to picture that in my mind. Now, if the law of supply and demand still applies, which it probably does, it would seem that there's not much demand for books on holiness or sanctification. Now, the demand for those kinds of books is sadly quite low, much lower than it ought to be. Well, more troubling than the lack of books on the subject of holiness and sanctification is what I think is very apparent oftentimes, the lack of of, of evident holiness in the lives of God's people, in the lives of those who profess to believe in Jesus Christ why why is that why is that why is there so often a distinct lack of apparent holiness in the lives of those who profess the name of Jesus Christ is the bible is the bible somehow unclear about the holiness of the god that we serve it is not is the bible unclear about his repeated commands that god's redeemed people are to be holy Again, there's no lack of teaching in scripture on that topic. If repetition is for the sake of emphasis, then the Bible is loud and clear that we as God's people in Christ are to live holy lives. It is necessary that we live lives of holiness. I, I mentioned the lack of books. Well, there's a few that I come to mind and I'll mention at least a couple of them. One of those is a recent book by Kevin DeYoung called The Hole in Our Holiness. And he writes this, he says, there's no question holiness is one of the central themes in the Bible. The word holy occurs more than 600 times in the Bible, more than 700 when you include derivative words like words like holiness, sanctify and sanctification. You can't make sense of the Bible without understanding that God is holy and that this holy God is intent on making a holy people to live with him forever in a holy heaven. You could say in one sense he just summarized the entire message of scripture. All of that is to be found in Christ, of course. So if you're a believer in Christ this evening, if you're neglecting a holiness in your lifelong pursuit of following the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not for a lack of instruction or emphasis in God's word. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that holiness Is not optional It's not an add-on To the Christian life If anything, holiness In a lot of ways Is the distinguishing mark Of the Christian It's the distinguishing mark Of every true believer In Jesus Christ Now the the Apostle Peter In 1 Peter 1 He quotes Leviticus 11.44 In writing the following 1 Peter 1 verses 14-16 to It says As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Why? Since it is written, and he quotes Leviticus 1144, you shall be holy, for I am holy. You know, you could say in some ways, that's the message of Leviticus, The holiness of God, the need for his people to be holy, how to approach a holy God, how sinners can approach a holy God. That's the theme of of the book of of Leviticus. And I think it's instructive that when Peter wants to wants to emphasize and wants to demonstrate the need for holiness in the lives of God's people, he's not uh, in any way hesitant to point us back to the book of Leviticus, a book we might not necessarily think to look to on our own, when it comes to the Christian life, but we would be wrong in that regard. So an unholy Christian, an unholy Christian, not an, not an imperfect Christian, an unholy Christian is a contradiction in terms. If you're here this evening and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you must make holiness your lifelong aim. Seek after holiness more than you seek after success or even happiness. Nothing wrong with success, nothing wrong with happiness, but seek holiness above those things. In many ways, you could say that holiness is the measure of success for a believer in Jesus Christ. And really, no true Christian can be happy apart from sharing in the holiness of his or her Heavenly Father. It's impossible for a believer to be truly happy apart from sharing in his Father's likeness and his Father's Holiness. Our text in Hebrews 12:14 says, "Without holiness, or without that sanctification, what does it say? No one will see the Lord. No one. Holiness is not something for the supposed second-level Christian. It's for the Christian. Period. Exclamation point. In his other book, probably my favorite book on the subject, by one of my favorite authors, J.C. Ryle. Maybe some of you have read." Some of his works, J.C. Ryle, in his book entitled Holiness, in case you forget the title, it's an easy one to remember, right? Holiness, a great, great book. He writes this about our sermon verse, about our sermon text. In particular, he says, it, Hebrews twelve fourteen. it suggests a question which demands the attention of all professing Christians. What's that question? It's really two questions. Are we holy and shall we see the Lord? When we read our sermon text, those are the questions that should come to mind. If you read this text, especially verse 14, and fail to ask yourself those two very much interrelated questions, you're doing yourself a great disservice. It's why the text is there. The text practically demands that that you and I ask those questions of ourselves and be able to give an honest answer to them. It doesn't matter what, what I think of your answer to it. It doesn't matter what you think of my answer to it. It matters between you and the Lord how you honestly answer these two questions. And you might know it's not, it's not unusual for the scriptures to make us ask these things of ourselves. This isn't like a rare thing, a one-time thing that everywhere else in scripture we're kind of left at ease. But Hebrews 12:14, there's kind of a rub with that one. Uh, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians rather, 13.5. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. When he presses the exact same question upon us, he says, 2 Corinthians 13.5, Examine yourselves. Examine yourselves. And and, uh, to what? To see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. There's no harm in asking these questions. There's really, you could say there's harm in not asking these questions. To not ask these questions is to kind of, you know, what's the saying about whistling through the graveyard? You know, you just you just don't want to deal with it. Well, the scripture in God's mercy and grace puts these questions to us for just these kinds of reasons. There could be no more important question for you to ask and have the right answer to this evening and have settled in your own hearts than these. So I trust this evening that If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, uh, tonight, our time spent in this passage of God's word will at the end prove to be an encouragement to you. And if the spirit of holiness within you uses it to move you to fresh repentance, all the better. If that's the case, this passage and our time in it will have done you no harm, but rather much good. If you're here this evening and you're not yet a believer in Jesus Christ, my prayer is that this passage from the Word of God will serve as something of a wake-up call to you, as, like a, as a fire alarm in a burning building might be to someone, that the, the Spirit of God might awaken you to your situation, the true condition of your soul, the danger that you are in, if you remain outside of Christ and still yet in your sins. You know, at this text, as it, the book of Hebrews has a habit, I think, sometimes of making us quite uncomfortable. Well, at this particular verse from Hebrews 12, Uh, ends up making you uncomfortable for a time, but yet leads you to see your condition, to turn to Christ in repentance and faith, it will have done you no harm, but rather very much good for all eternity. Well, the subject of holiness is a vast one. It's a broad one. It's got a lot that could be said. We don't have time this evening to deal with it comprehensively. We're not going to deal with it in an exhaustive fashion. We don't have to have the time to deal with even the holiness of God per se as a topic from this text. But we're going to look at at least three things, I hope, in our time together. The first is the necessity, the necessity of holiness. The second is the way, the way of holiness. And the third is the goal of holiness. So the necessity, the way and the goal of holiness from Hebrews 12, verse 14. So the first thing the text Impresses upon you and I this evening is the necessity of it. Now, that's a strong way to put it, isn't it? When you talk about the necessity of something, um, it's, it, uh, it should make you sit up and take notice. Notice that the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us in, in verse 14 that we are to, as, as the ESV puts it, to strive for it. To strive for it. The King, New King James puts it this way to pursue, to pursue. Holiness, that's the same word used here in the New American Standard, to pursue holiness. Now, what does that tell you? That tells you if if you have to be told to pursue it, then it's not our natural condition. If even the Christian has to be told to pursue or strive after holiness, then holiness is not our natural state or condition on our own. Outside of Christ, none of us are holy. Not one, not you, and not myself either. Ever since the fall of mankind and Adam's fall into sin in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, all of mankind has been in a, in a, in a state of sin and misery. In Ephesians 2.1, the Apostle Paul describes this as being, quote, dead. Not sick, not a little twisted, not a little bent out of joint, Dead in trespasses and sins. Outside of Christ, left to ourselves, that describes each and every one of us. Dead in sin, and so positively unholy. Not just lacking a little bit, actually unholy before the sight of God. Romans 3 verse 1 puts it this way, none is righteous. And then what does he add there? No, not one. And you just know if he hadn't put it that way, if the Holy Spirit had not inspired those words that way, most of us would read that text and say, well, he doesn't mean none. He means most people. He means those people out there, not this person standing right here. He says none is righteous. No, not one. That's us outside of Christ. And so if you are yet outside of Christ, the first thing for you to see from our text is, There is no such thing as you striving after true holiness outside of Jesus Christ until you repent from your sin and turn to Jesus Christ by faith. Outside of Christ, there is no striving after true holiness. Outside of Christ, you have no true holiness with which to stand before an infinitely holy God. That's a problem. Make no mistake. Do not deceive yourself the way the scripture says Our text makes it clear to us that without holiness or sanctification, what does the writer say? No one will see the Lord. No one. Do you feel the weight of your debt of sin, even as a believer? That's something that should remind us of. God's law does that. It's It's a positive use to the believer in Christ to remind us of our debt that we owe to Christ. If you aren't a believer this evening, I ask that you would turn to Christ by faith, come to him in repentance and faith, and you will know for the first time what it feels like to be forgiven. You'll know true forgiveness, true life, and Christ through his spirit will begin the work of sanctification and renewal in your life and start making you holy as you follow Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit within us. Well, the second thing our text would impress upon us tonight is the way The way of of holiness. If you're already a believer in Christ by God's grace, through faith in Christ, this verse should teach you that holiness in the Christian life, here's here's the newsflash, holiness doesn't just happen. Holiness doesn't just happen. It's not automatic. You don't walk the aisle, pray the prayer, however you want to put it, come to Christ by faith and repentance, and just magically, like snapping your fingers, all of a sudden, You have a Shekinah glow around your head and you're holy. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes I wish it did. It would be much, much easier. It doesn't just happen. It's not automatic for any of us. We're told, what are we told in the text? To pursue it. To strive after it. What does that mean? This is is a new four-letter word in our day. It takes effort. It takes work, not works. Work, effort. On our part, effort does not equal merit. Work does not equal works when it comes to sanctification. The Greek word here for strive for or pursue is dioko. Now, why do I say that? It's the word it can mean to chase. It can mean to chase after or even to persecute. It's the same word that Paul uses in Galatians 1.13 when he speaks of his former life, outside of Christ, in Judaism, he says this, Galatians 13. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I, here's the word, persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Persecute is the same word, dioko. And if you know your the book of Acts, you know Acts chapter 9, when Paul was going to persecute the church, he was literally chasing them down with papers in hand when Christ Stopped him in his tracks, threw him off his high horse, and changed his team. Turned him around, opened his eyes by, by blinding his eyes with that light from heaven. Paul uses the same kind of word there. It's uh, Picture yourself persecuting holiness, chasing after it with all your might. Your life's goal is to pursue it. So we're to chase after it, we're to pursue it. Think of it, I'm not much of a race fan, but think of it holiness as if it were the lead car or the lead horse in a race. And it's always in front of you for you to chase down and strive after as the goal. Now that, that race type language is the same language used earlier in this chapter. In Hebrews 12 verses 1 to 2, where it says this, the writer of Hebrews says, chapter 12 verses 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And here it is. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How? Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. could preach on that all night too. Strive after, pursue, run the race. And who's, who's the one you look at? Fixing your eyes on Jesus. He's the finish line. He's the example. He's the model. He's everything. Run the race with endurance. So we should be clear on at least one thing from our text. The holiness Spoken of here, I like the way the the NASB puts it for this reason, is not the holiness of justification. When he says pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no man will see the Lord, he's not talking about justification. What's justification? Shorter catechism, I'm sure you've heard this before, but question 33 says it. justification is an act, an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardons all our sins. He forgives all your sins. And accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So justification, think of it as two sides to a coin. God forgives all your sins. All of them. Right? He accepts you, a sinner, me, a sinner, as what? Righteous in his sight. On what basis? Your works of holiness? No. On the righteousness of Christ alone imputed to us. And received by faith alone. That's justification. It's a one-time act. It's a one-time done deal. A.W. Pink writes this. He says, The holiness referred to in our text, verse 14, is not imputed holiness. Why? For we cannot be exhorted to follow after that. You get his logic? Scripture can't possibly tell you as a believer to strive after justification. Why? It's already done. It's not something you do. It's a status bestowed upon you in Christ by God himself. It's a done deal. He says, no, it is personal and practical holiness, which is not attained by standing still, but by an earnest, diligent, persistent pursuit after the same. Pink is right. We cannot be exhorted to strive after or pursue the imputed righteousness of justification if you're a believer in Christ this evening you are completely and forever justified before the sight of a holy god he has fully forgiven all of your sins he has accepted you as righteous as his son is there's no improving upon that there's no possible way to improve upon that the righteousness of Christ the perfect Spotless record of Christ Has been imputed to your account By faith and by faith alone There's no way to improve upon it You are as accepted before a holy God If you're in Christ As Christ himself is That's justification That's the gospel But the holiness spoken of in our text As the NASB puts it well Is is that of sanctification Sanctification, not justification Both are important, both are necessary But our text speaks of the latter. Now, in contrast to justification, sanctification, our catechism tells us, is, quote, the work, not the act, the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. It is by the free grace of God. Sanctification is every bit a part of the salvation that is yours in Christ that is given to you by God in Christ, as anything else in salvation, including your justification and your adoption. It is not a burden, it is a gift. It is part of your salvation, is part of the good things, the benefits and blessings that are given to us freely by Christ through the gospel. It is the ongoing work of God. It's not a one-time done deal like justification is. It's the ongoing work of God in your life by his Holy Spirit. And what does he cause you to be able to do? He causes you and enables you to repent of your sins and walk according to his will in newness of life. Increasingly more and more as you go on in the Christian life. It is something we can and should grow in. The scripture tells us to pursue it. We are to grow in it. We aren't to throw our hands up in the air every time we stumble and say there's just no use. There's plenty of use because God has willed it for you, for your good and for mine. It is not a burden strapped to your back. It is a blessing. It's a benefit of your salvation and part of that salvation in Jesus Christ by faith. So, brothers and sisters, tonight I say again, make growth your holiness. Make make growth in holiness your aim for your life. Strive after it. Pursue it. As the text in verse 14 even tells us. And that brings us to the third and last thing. And in some ways it might be the most important thing to get straight looking at this text. And that is the goal. The goal of holiness. It's easy to go astray and get tripped up in this aspect of what we're looking at this evening. Look again at verse 14. It says pursue peace with all men. And we're focusing on the last part. And the sanctification without which... What does he say? No one will see the Lord. Now, we've already seen that's something of a warning, isn't it? In in some ways, we should take it as as a warning. The scriptures are chock full of such warnings and God gives them to us again for our good. They're there for a reason. So we would do well to pay careful attention to them. And so I say, based upon our text and other text of scripture this evening, if you're professing to be a believer in Jesus Christ, and your life is marked by a consistent pattern of sin, a trajectory, if you will, of sin and ungodliness, then you have good reason to question the genuineness of your faith. First Corinthians 6, 9-11, Paul writes there, he says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. But you were washed. You were what? Sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. You know, at one and the same time, I have a hard time thinking of, a, of, a, of one text of Scripture that at the same time can serve as such a strong warning and yet such a wonderful encouragement. He says, if, if these things describe the course of your life, then you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But what does he say? And such were some of you. I mean, look at that list again. And think, I mean, that's, you know, some of those sound like people you don't want to have living next door to you. He's saying, these, that's God working. God takes people like that, like us, and saves us wonderfully. Breaks the power of sin. Romans 6, you just read that this morning. Breaks the power of sin over your life so that you no longer are in bondage to sin and the evil one. Unless you be discouraged, struggling with sin, listen here, struggling with sin is a different thing entirely. Struggling with sin is one thing. Every Christian Struggles with sin. If you aren't struggling with sin, you're either kidding yourself, but you're not kidding the Lord. All true Christians struggle with sin, but living in sin, being at home in your sin is another matter entirely. That's what the writer of Hebrews is getting at here, as well as Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Without holiness, you will not see the Lord. But our text can be taken, I think, in a very a much more positive way as well. Look, are, are it, it, what does it say? What is, it, what is the goal of the Christian life? What is the goal of the life of holiness? The goal isn't earning heaven. That's not what Hebrews 12:14, is saying. I think what Hebrews 12:14 is saying is much like what John, the Apostle John says in First John chapter three verses one through three. Reading from the ESV here, 1 John 3, 1 through 3, he says this See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Here it is Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, We shall be like him. Why? Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself even as he is pure. You get you get the point there. The one who has a hope in Christ, who has the hope of seeing the Lord and being made like him when he's when you see him as he is. What what does that hope do with you? What does that hope lead you to do? Everyone who thus hopes in him, in Christ, purifies himself even as he, Christ, is pure. Holiness, among other things, is essentially a matter of family likeness. It's a matter of family likeness. To be holy is to reflect in some way the beginnings of the image of our Heavenly Father and of Christ, our elder brother. When Jesus appears at his return, What does John say? We shall see him as he is. And what will be the result of that? We will be made like him. What else could you possibly want as a Christian? To be conformed completely to Christ's image at his return when you see him. Is there anything else that that makes you get up in the morning? Is that not the most joyous thing you can imagine is being Utterly free from the presence and power of sin completely forever and being made like Jesus Christ. Everyone who has this hope in Christ, the hope of glory, the hope of being conformed to his image, purifies himself even as Jesus himself is pure. What's he saying? If that's your hope, if that's your hope, seeing Jesus Christ being conformed to his image, the Christian will not, will not be content to wait for it. We will not be content to wait around for even the beginnings of it. Sanctification, as Thomas Watson said, is glory, glorification, in seed form. Sanctification, is, as small as it may seem to you when you look in the mirror every day, is just the smallest beginnings of what awaits when you see Christ as he is. This is not legalism, this is not works of. Salvation. This is not in any way earning heaven or earning seeing the Lord by means of our holiness. He's talking about anticipation. Anticipation. This is faith and hope in Christ in action. This is love for Christ should abroad in your hearts by the gospel. As Jesus says in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 8, one of these verses we, we hear all the time, but you don't think about what it means. Blessed are the pure in heart. Why? for they shall see God. Not, hey, they earned it. Blessed, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. May the blessed hope of seeing the Lord Jesus Christ spur you and I on in our pursuit of holiness. May the hope of being made like Jesus and conformed to his image when we see him as he is lead you and I to purify, purify ourselves even as he is pure as we await his return for us in glory. Let's let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the scriptures that you give to us. We thank you for Hebrews chapter 12, the whole book even, but for this verse in particular. We thank you that sanctification is one of the many benefits and blessings that we are given in the gospel of Jesus Christ, your son. We thank you that you will have us share in our in your holiness for our good. That it's a blessing that we are given in Christ and we ask that you would help us to keep this straight, to understand this, help us to look to Jesus, to look forward to seeing your Son as he is and being conformed to his image. And may that, may that, hope, may that hope lead us more and more to purify ourselves by the work of your Spirit more and more, even as Christ your Son is pure. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.